Hello everyone and welcome back to A Sweet Sunrise Podcast. I'm your host, Callie Dane, and I talk all things books and wellness every Tuesday morning with a small social media gathering of book lovers. Today, we will be talking about one of my more recent reads that was published just last year. Lisa Barr's Woman on Fire became a popular work of historical fiction and sensational among the bookish community in its first 12 months on the shelves. But is it really worth the read? Today, I'm going to tell you. The past two weeks have been so much fun. Two weeks ago, I went to Disney with Dusty's family and we got to do all the Star Wars rides and restaurants and it was the best. We spent the day at Hollywood Studios and did Smuggler's Run, which is one of the newer Star Wars rides where you get to be like either a gunner, an engineer, um, a pilot, or something else. There's one other thing. I don't remember. But I was an engineer the first time, which is cool because every time something lights up on your like switchboard or the buttons or whatever, you just have to press or switch what they light up. So I liked that. And then the gunner one was where you basically just had to shoot the the bad guys that was fun too but i don't think i was as good as that then we did tower of terror the mickey and minnie train one and then toy story about three times because Pusty's family has an obsession with toy story and the competitiveness of it basically you just like shoot random things with this weird like ball gun and you get a high score at the end so whoever has the highest score is like talks mad shit for the day and you get that privilege, but it's a really fun game. I'm not the best at it, but it's fun. And then we saw the Fantasia show at night, which was really fun, actually. I really liked it. It was probably my favorite part. Um, funny story about Tower of Terror, though. Dusty's mom dropped her phone mid-ride, and we thought it, like, for sure got destroyed because we couldn't find it in the elevator when the ride stopped, and they made us get out. Like, they wouldn't let us look for that long, so we figured it had fallen down, like, the whole shaft during the drops, because you could literally hear it fall when we were on the ride. Like, we were going up and down, and then all of a sudden, you just hear, like, a crash, and I was like, oh, that sucks. That's someone's phone, and then when the ride stopped, I realized it was his mom's. Uh, Was everyone surprised? They got a phone call the next day, actually, and that it was found in perfect condition. I don't know if she ever went to get it, I have literally no idea how it survived because it had to have fallen ridiculously far down, but it lived. I don't know. But yeah, the Fantasia show was probably my favorite part of Disney. I'm going to tell you, it was pretty dark. Like, I was a pretty sensitive child and that show would have really scared me. Like, on an existential level, I feel like. There were some small children around us that were not pleased they were definitely scared but yeah it was dark like the way they project the disney villains and they like shoot fire and everything was pretty scary so the way they did it was basically they like put up a fountain wall of water and then they like use a projector to project onto that so they were projecting like the disney villains so that like you know mickey could go defeat them but it was scary as shit like all that was terrifying and I remember being uh, like absolutely terrified of Maleficent when I was a kid and in the show they basically made her this like giant flying figure and I think it actually traumatized my inner child I did not like that but the whole day was really awesome and I'm really glad Dusty's sister and her fiance were able to come down from Texas for three weeks so we get to spend we spent two weekends ago with them last weekend with them and 
we're going back on Thursday to spend the last weekend with them. So yeah, this past weekend, we spent with them again in Bradenton, and we really just had like kind of a beach weekend. We all went out on the boat, and I loved getting out in the sun and being able to just walk on the beach with my favorite people. It was really what I needed. Saturday, I started catching Dusty's cold. He's an asshole for giving me that cold, but I was still able to have fun. So, but yeah, if my voice sounds a little extra weird, I apologize. Kind of congested. But yeah, Saturday night, we went to one of my favorite restaurants in Sarasota called Pacific Rim. If you want to go, it's a seafood place, sushi place. I highly, highly recommend it. It has the best food. We got a bunch of appetizers, and then I got a spicy salmon roll, which is always my favorite. Spicy salmon roll with spicy mayo. I even got miso soup. That really helped me feel better. And then Sunday, we kind of had like a longer boat day with like long walks, public subs, and we went to River House for drinks while we watched the women's college basketball finals. And I know she didn't win. But Caitlin Clark is going to be an insane star one day. I'm really excited that I get to watch her this early in her career and that I get to keep watching her play. And PSA, if you haven't gotten into women's basketball yet, you need to. This is your sign. I'm so glad I started watching this year. The coach of LSU, I know her name's Kim, but I'm blanking on her last name. She's an icon. Like, her outfits, her attitude, it's kind of awesome. I can't, like, don't quote me on it because I haven't watched her a ton. I just always see, like, TikToks of her and her on social media. And the last two games I watched, like, she's really cool. I love her outfits and the way she uses, like, you know, stereotypically feminine colors and kind of just, like, brings that to the sport. I don't know if she does that on purpose, but I really like it. But that's pretty much all I have for a life update. We're getting ready to go back to Bradenton again for their last weekend in town on Thursday. So I have a short week this week because of Good Friday. So we get to head down an extra day early. Alright, so to start the main part of the episode, I want to talk a bit about making time for yourself and prioritizing self-care this time of year because I know it gets really rushed for a lot of people. April is the stressful end of the semester push for everyone in college, and it really is strange to not have to deal with exams this year for like the first time ever. (laughs) But since most of my friends still do, and since I've been pretty busy lately and slacking a little bit on self-care, I decided to do a short blurb about just how important it is. You can be super hardworking, super healthy, pushing yourself in your career, total girl boss energy, but if you aren't taking time to appreciate life and take care of yourself, you will burn yourself out and it won't be pretty. As I've been working and traveling during the weekends the last few weeks, I've cut back on my self-care a bit and just need to take a bit more time to myself, I've noticed. Usually I do a big reset on Sundays with like cleaning, laundry, a grocery haul, and like a more extensive skincare routine. I always do my eyebrows and, you know, upper lip and stuff. But since I haven't been home the past two Sundays and I won't be this weekend either, I need to find time, budget time to add those things to my routine during the week so that I don't get overwhelmed. So last night after we got home, I made time to exfoliate with my The Ordinary AHA BHA mask and have some sleepy time tea. I may have stayed up a little later, 
but it gave me the time that I needed to unwind after getting home instead of just going to sleep, feeling more stressed, and then waking up and going straight to work. I feel like I got a better night's sleep that way, and my brain got that time to just kind of slowly wind down instead of trying to rush myself to sleep, and then, you know, I would probably have dreams about work. I don't know if anyone else, like, it's not necessarily bad dreams, but I do wherever I've worked, like if even I was working at REI, I would dream like about REI, just like an average work day. And I feel like that's such a waste of a dream. So I'm trying not to do that. And I think having that wind down time helps me have like just kind of normal dreams. But what really helps me stay accountable in making time for myself is establishing a good and calming morning and night routine. Once you form these habits for yourself, During those designated times, you will fall into those calming habits naturally. So for example, when I wake up, I always let the dogs out, make my smoothie and breakfast, and then have a designated time for skincare and waking up so that I don't feel rushed before I have to leave for work. And then at night, I make some tea, do my skincare, brush my teeth, pop in my retainer, spray my sheets and pillows with some lavender pillow spray to help calm my senses before I get into bed. I just find that having this designated wind down time really helps me clear my head and feel like I'm giving myself some well-deserved attention. Another thing I like to do to help prioritize time to myself is exercise. I try and go for a run between three and five times a week and since I'm sick I might not reach that goal this week. I'm trying to be okay with that so I'm gonna have to try some other things too but running always really helps me release anxiety and tension anything that's built up while also taking care of my body and engaging my muscles through exercise. So, moral of the story is, if you feel like you've been super busy lately or that you're running on empty, make sure you're giving yourself the love you deserve. Make time to go on a run or do a workout, spend some time doing a face mask or treat yourself to a bubble bath. It doesn't have to be a super long activity, just 15 minutes can truly help yourself make a difference and make you feel refreshed. I know Trinity Tondelier always says on the Wellness Cafe podcast that, you know, everyone has 15 minutes in a day. Like, it doesn't matter how busy you are, what you do, whether you're in school or your work, you have 15 minutes to devote to yourself for a workout or a cleaning session. And I really think that's true because a lot of the times I can be like, no, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy. But in reality, I definitely have that 15 minutes to get something done. So I agree with that. Now for the main purpose of today's episode, let's start our discussion on Lisa Barr's Women on Fire. So without further delay, here is my version of the back of the book summary. Here we go. Published in March of 2022, Woman on Fire is a unique work of historical fiction about Nazi stolen art. Late one night in Germany, the heir to a Nazi art thief is murdered, and a stash of priceless paintings hidden in his apartment are gone. In the U.S., young graduate Jules Roth lives with her quick-witted lawyer mother in the city of Chicago, where she aspires to follow her dreams and work for the world-renowned author, Dan Mansfield. When she barges into his office, he likes her guts and recruits her for a personal investigative mission. Dan's close friend, fashion world icon and shoe designer Ellis Baum, 
learns of the murder in Germany and hopes that a certain painting can be traced back from the theft. The painting is Woman on Fire, and the model is his mother, who was brutally murdered by the Nazi art thief who stole the painting. It is the last image of her to exist, and Ellis hasn't seen it since he was a very small boy. Dan and Ellis build a team of themselves, Jules, and Ellis's handsome artist grandson, Adam, to track down the painting and return it to Ellis. But in Europe, ruthless art collector Margot de Laurent also sees the painting as a family heirloom, and she will stop at nothing to get it. Who will find the painting? Who really deserves it? Will Ellis ever see his mother again? And will Jules be able to abide by the rules of her mentor? Order your copy to find out. I know that was a lot. There's a lot of moving pieces in this book, but to be honest, it doesn't seem overwhelming when you're reading it. But I do like that you have all those moving pieces because it makes like the whole thing come together at the end. Because obviously they want the same thing. But they want it for very different reasons. They have very different motives. So I think that's really unique. I read this book about two weeks ago now. After ordering a copy on Amazon, I saw a couple people post about it and I read a little blur about it and I thought this is just, this is way too interesting to pass up. And it really was a quick read. I really appreciated the style of narration that Barr used in the novel. Like I said, there's a lot of moving pieces, so the chapters bounce back and forth between each of the main characters, so you really get to understand each of their motives for finding the painting very well. So I think that makes it seem a lot less confusing. Like, if it were just from one person's point of view, if it were just from Jules's point of view, and she was trying to cover all these different people in the equation, I don't think it would have worked very well. But since you get to see in each of the characters' minds and see how they think and why they want the painting and what they're doing, it makes it a lot easier to keep track of things. So, really, readers even get to go back to the 1930s when the imagined painting was created. And I thought those chapters were particularly unique. Not a lot of authors, I think, today would be willing to go back to a time period like that where there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of research to be done, there's a lot of political things to get right, but she went there and she did a really great job. But the main thing I found striking about this book was the subject matter. What a great idea to write about. Seriously, I don't think Nazi stolen art is talked about much, and it's such a huge, it was such a huge thing. And probably almost never talked about by our generation too so getting to read like this thrilling work of historical fiction that was very much inspired by actual stolen art was really cool like obviously this this painting is not real this artist is not real but they mention obviously a lot of artists that were real expressionist artists and talk about their lives and how you know they were seen they were called degenerate artists and degenerate art and they were stolen away by Nazi officials and Hitler and were taken away and they destroyed a lot of them but hypocritically they just kept a bunch of them too because they knew how much they were worth and they liked them themselves. Honestly I learned in AP art history in high school that Hitler was an artist when he was younger and 
he was like a failed artist like no one I mean his paintings were good I just don't think it was what they were looking for at the time and apparently the board who like decided if he was going to get into this like I think it was a school or something like that um a lot of the members of it were Jewish that's what my teacher told me and well first of all we walked into the classroom and she had one of his paintings projected but it didn't have like a signature or anything no one knew who it was by and she just started asking us questions about the painting and we're like yeah it's good like we like it I don't know about this type thing um and then she told us it was Hitler's and then she told us a story so it makes sense that he had this vendetta against art and artists after you know failing in the industry himself so not a lot of people know that I think I didn't know that until I was like 17 so this book was a new twist on a historical topic, and I found it incredibly entertaining. One character in particular, seriously, was undoubtedly the most original. Margot, the evil art dealer, is a fascinating creation by Barr. As the novel goes on, you begin to realize just how disturbed and cruel she really is. Things get wild towards the end on everyone's point of view. But Margot's actions are always a surprise. Trust me, if you think you know what she's going to do next, you don't. Also, for my romance lovers out there, this story does have a bit of a love story. Let's just say that Jules and Adam can't keep their relationship strictly professional, no matter how hard they try. And to be honest, it may be a somewhat underdeveloped relationship by the end, but the romantic and sexual tension is always clear. It's always there. Like, from the moment they meet each other, like, you know those two are gonna fuck. Like, you just know. But it also makes sense that the romance doesn't take up the whole novel. And I'm glad it doesn't, because it wouldn't have made sense. Jules is a career, a career woman, so most of the story revolves around their mission and the art. And obviously, they both have a stake in it. Um, for Adam, it's his grandfather's painting like he wants to see his mother before he dies uh and then for Jules like she wants to prove himself to prove herself to her new mentor and she wants to get Ellis that painting so yeah it was a little bit of an awkward romance just because I felt like it didn't really come full circle like we didn't see a lot of it but also I kind of understand you just have to make up your own mind about that but speaking of their secret project the twists and turns were shocking. I'm usually able to predict the plot and ends of fictional works, which gets boring because, like, I don't want to know everything that's going on, but I feel like I do most of the time. This book caught me by surprise a few times, and I really appreciate that when an author is able to do that. So, I didn't have many issues with the novel, but one I could not get over was the main character, that's right, I said it. I did not really like the main character of this book. Jules just presents herself as that insufferable female lead full of cliches. And I'm not saying she's not like a manic pixie dream girl. That's not what I'm trying to get at. She's just like, she's like your average girl next door, but like a career woman. I don't know. I kind of found it, I kind of found it annoying. Um, I really wanted to like her, like, believe me, I tried, but, like, especially early in the book, she just made me cringe multiple times. I wasn't as excited to open the book when I knew it was going to be a Jules chapter, 
which is definitely a downside to reading this one it's hard to like a book and not like the main character but that's how I felt about this one it wasn't a wonderful book it wasn't an amazing book but I liked it it was a good book and I think it would have been a lot better if the main character was more original and I'm not saying I need her to be like evil like Margot I just need her to be more original more actually human you know you guys know what I'm trying to get at so while the subject matter and one character are really unique unfortunately there is a lot about this book that lacks originality now fair warning this book is pretty packed with emotion writing about the holocaust is a sensitive subject seriously but i think Barr handled it really well and very respectfully i read an article that she mentioned being proud of her jewish heritage so taking the opportunity to write about like the most horrific tragedies of her people was special that being said ellis is the character that will probably make you cry the love he has for his mother and his memories of her truly do tug at the heartstrings you get to see what he's remembering from now you get to go what back when he's like five and his mother is killed and all about the painting like you get to see from from when he's a child to when he's like what 80 and i think that's really special like this 80 year old man is missing his mom and if that doesn't get you emotional you don't have a heart (laughs) but yes it is it's a bit emotional he spent his whole life like suppressing those memories and not sharing them with anyone imagine so he came over from germany basically as a refugee as a very small child and then he just kind of invented this story about his life like like coming from a wealthy diamond family or something that's what it was and never told anyone um that his mother was killed by nazis i don't even think he told anyone he was from germany it was just this huge like traumatic response to this it was a emotional response to the trauma that he endured but because he suppressed all those memories for so long he gets this overflow of emotion at the end of his life and it's super heartbreaking he was the reason i really found myself rooting for dan's team to try to get to the painting first i'm trying really hard not to spoil the book so i won't say much more but i do want to mention that i really appreciate the complexity of this book This topic would have taken a lot of research, and I have a ton of respect for that. Not only are you dealing with art history, but you're dealing with journalism, art collector knowledge, fashion knowledge, and even the political history of the 1930s, which is a doozy in itself. So I highly respect anyone that's willing to sit down and learn about all these things so that they can write about it and share them in an in-depth way. Now. I'm going to move on and give my official rating for Lisa Barr's Woman on Fire. Out of 10, I'm going to give this one a strong 6. A strong 6, not a weak 6. I was entertained, I was inspired, but I wasn't staying up late to finish a chapter. I wasn't a fan of the story's main character, so it's hard to give it any more than that. But if you ask if this book is worth the read, I would say yes. 
especially if you're looking for an interesting topic and trying to reach a reading goal, I would definitely recommend this book. And, you know, that is going to be all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening and just giving me the chance to talk about books. I don't care if it's three or 300 people listening, I will rant about books to anybody. I'm almost done with the book I plan to talk about next week, and I cannot wait to share it with you guys. So if you haven't already, please consider following the show and leaving a rate or review. It really does make my day when I see it. I love to see those. As always, you can follow the pod on Instagram at a sweet sunrise underscore pod and myself on TikTok, TikTok, not TikTok, TikTok at Callie X Dane. And have a great week, everybody.